you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning. Man, it is going to be an awesome, awesome day. I'm excited. In fact, um, we've got a special treat for you today. Uh, somebody, uh, when we were in the process of planting the church, I had a great influence in my life. Say, Carrie, if you find people that are further down the road from you that are doing things well, spend whatever amount of money you have to spend. Use every amount of time that you can to get around those people, learn what they're doing, and emulate it to the best of your ability. Last year, we had an opportunity to sit around and hang out with a guy named Mark Johnson from uh, the East Coast. I told him the West Coast is still the best coast, but we'll let him hang out with us for a couple of days. And he's got an amazing church there called Journey Church. And what I love about him, number one, he's a church planter. And I love that because he started from scratch, which means you know this guy is, is a bad mamma jamma. And number two, he also works with the organization that we work with that helped us start called ARC, the Association of related churches. You need to know the Movement Church is aggressively funding people that want to and feel God's called them to start a church. And so he has helped coaching and he's helped people get off the ground and help kind of build and shape and tweak and design. And uh, he's actually come in. We've flown him in this weekend for two things. Uh, number two, and yeah, I started there on purpose. He's going to speak to some Orange County, Los Angeles, San Diego pastors on Tuesday, give some insight. We've got about 100 pastors coming together on Tuesday. But number one is because I just, Megan and I were praying, and we wanted him to come in and just deliver a now word for you and for me. And I'm excited uh, because he's got something on his heart for you and for me. So look at me and, and in the eyes for just one second. Listen, here's my challenge. Lean in today. If you're here with us for the first time, this is the best time to visit. And if you've been here for a while, man, lean in. Because I believe God wants to speak something specifically powerful to you and to me. Look at me. Listen. Everything in your life has culminated to this moment. And God didn't make a mistake with that. You're supposed to be here. And so is this amazing gentleman. So would you do me a favor with the greatest applause you can, would you guys give it up for Pastor Mark Johnson? Come on, right now, like you mean it. What is up, Movement Church? Man, it is so good to be here. And as Pastor Kerry mentioned, I'm Mark, lead pastor of a church called The Journey in Newark, Delaware. Uh, so cool to be hanging out with you guys. Our church started nine years ago, so this is kind of like stepping back in time a little bit for me. And uh, I'm excited about what God has in store for you guys, because we started uh, just with a handful of people and no plan and no money and no clue, and uh, now we have some more people. So that's good, but uh, we're still trying to figure out all the other parts, but now we have some more people, and God has been so good to our church, and it has been amazing to me to see what he's doing in churches like ours all over uh, the country, all over the world, and this is one of those churches I'm pumped to be here. And I got my beach vibe on. Like, I I just, I came from the East Coast with all the stress and people cutting each other off and fingers flying and all kinds of stuff going on, and I got here and I went to the beach and I got my beach vibe on. So thank you. Thank you. Do you have your beach vibe on? You might have to take it off just a little bit over the next few minutes so you can help me, but... 
I really want something to get in your heart and your soul. So I'm going to try not to be too chilled out from the beach. But thank you for the past 24 hours. It's been amazing, and I'm excited about what God's going to do today. I first met your pastors, Pastors Carrie and Megan, a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, actually. I was blown away immediately by their love for Jesus and their love for others and their love for you. Came here last year, spent some time with some pastors here in this area, and was again blown away by by your pastors and their passion to bring like-minded people together and make a difference. You have some incredible leaders at the helm of the Movement Church. Will you help me show them some love? Come on, give it up. And thank you, worship team, for writing songs and being amazing. And most of you are gone, but for the two of you who remain, thank you guys. Great, great job. All right, well, if there is a spectrum between skeptical and gullible, I fall on the skeptical end a lot. I don't know how many of you can identify. It's just kind of my personality. I'm very analytical and logical, which has made my marriage interesting because my wife's very emotional. And and uh, I'm just skeptical a lot. I never take things at face value. I don't know, show of hands, how many of you are just kind of skeptical? You don't. You just don't buy in the first the first time something is is attempted to be sold to you. And I found out recently in the church that I serve, the journey, that a lot of people in our church apparently are skeptical because I was a few minutes into my message a few weeks ago on a Saturday night. We have two gatherings on Saturday night. And in the second one, I was a few minutes into my message and I felt like I was doing well and the fire alarm went off. And it's the first time the fire alarm has ever gone off in our church. We've been in the building we're in for... Uh, three years, first time the fire alarm had ever gone off, and we have like this beefed up fire alarm we had to get when we moved in. It's got a voice that comes over the speakers. Everything shuts down. The PA system shuts down, and this very soothing lady's voice says, there is a fire in the building. Please exit as soon as you can, or something along those lines. And and so the, the lights are flashing. The fire alarm's going off. This voice is telling everybody to leave the room, and everyone in the auditorium just looks at me. Like, you did this, didn't you? This is a trick. I know, you're a preacher. You're sneaky. There's not really a fire. And finally, you know, and I've never heard this before. I didn't know what to do. Finally, I'm looking at everyone, and the lady is saying, there is a fire. Please exit the building. And so I say in my most, like, high-authority voice possible, let's do that. Like, let's do what she said, because I don't know what else to do. And finally, we left the building, and 20 minutes later, we're all outside. You know, the whole building has to be reset. And people are saying, you planned that, didn't you? I'm like, no. I did not plan for the fire alarm to go off in the middle of my amazing message. That is not what I planned. But our church, apparently, is skeptical. And, you know, it's one thing to be skeptical of, you know, things in general in life, skeptical of salespeople or skeptical of that guy at work who always exaggerates. But it's a, it's a whole other ball game when we're skeptical of God and skeptical toward God's promises to us. And I don't know where you are spiritually, you know, kind of where you land with spiritual things. Maybe you're still checking it out, trying to figure out if you really believe in this whole God thing and Bible thing and Jesus thing. Maybe you're all in. But I think wherever you are, this is something we can all identify with. Why is it so hard to believe sometimes? Have you noticed there are just days when it's hard to believe? And I think we could come up with a lot of reasons, like things haven't gone the way we wanted them to or prayed that they would in our lives. We've, We've seen bad things happen to good people and equally frustrating good things happen to bad people. And 
There are all of those reasons, but here's the deal. I think for most of us, we haven't given up on our faith altogether. We just don't feel like we have enough. Can you identify with that? Like you, we've got some faith. We believe God is out there somewhere at least, you know, that he has some kind of plan. But we just don't feel like we have enough faith, which brings up a question, and that is how much would be enough? How much faith would be enough to go from not skeptical to gullible, but from doubting to believing? How much faith would be enough? So what I want to do today is look at this thing that happened in Jesus' life. It's so fascinating to me. And here's the setting if you're new to the Bible. Uh, This is in the second book of the New Testament written by a guy named Mark. And uh, he tells a story how Jesus goes up to a mountain with his three closest friends. They go up to this mountain together. He leaves behind some of his other disciples and the crowd that he's been hanging out with. And they go up to the top of the mountain and have this profound experience with God's presence. There's a bright cloud. A voice speaks from heaven. It's pretty wild. You should check it out. It's in the book of Mark. uh, And it's also in the book of Matthew chapter 17, which is where I want to look at it as well today. And, and Jesus on this mountain has this experience with his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and they are freaked out, man, which, you know, I would be too. You go up the mountain with Jesus for a latte, and then all of a sudden there's a bright cloud, and there's a voice, and one of the guys, Peter, is like, it's really good to be here. We should, like, like build some church buildings and just stay here, and it's just crazy stuff. You should read about it. Matthew chapter 17 especially spells it out. And while they're up there, they have this experience with God. God shows up, makes it clear, like, Jesus is the man. He is my son. He, you should listen to him. He has authority. And then they come back down the mountain, which how many of you have found out? That's kind of how life works, right? If you go up, you got to come down. So some of you ladies went to She Rises conference, and now she's, yeah, and you're still pumped up. But 48 hours from now, you're going to have a good reason to descend from wherever you arose to. I promise you, it's just life. It's how life works. Like she rose and then she came back down because her husband was being a jerk. It's going to happen. It's just going to happen. And the kids, whose are they anyway? It's going to happen to you. And it happens to Jesus and his disciples. They go up the mountain and they got to come back down. And it's a lot more boring and monotonous and annoying at the bottom of the mountain than it is at the top, by the way, most of the time. And here's what happens. This is Matthew 17, verse 14. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Now, this man comes to Jesus asking for compassion. His son has seizures. He falls into the fire. He falls into the water, which is our first sign that this isn't just a physical problem. There's something else Going on. In fact, one of the other writers in the New Testament, Mark, actually, when he talks about this, he says that this this boy doesn't just fall into the fire or the water, but he throws himself into the fire or the water. So again, it's a sign to us something else is going on. And this dad is full of grief, full of fear, full of anguish. He comes to Jesus and he begs him for help. And did you notice what he says? I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. I'd hazard a guess that there are some of us, at least here today, that maybe have been tempted to give up on God or church or spirituality somewhere along the way, and it wasn't because of anything wrong with Jesus. It was because of the defects we notice in his disciples. 
And that's what's going on here. This guy's like, man, I brought them to your disciples. Like, they're supposed to represent you, but they couldn't heal him. And, and we know, if we read the whole the context, we know these disciples, they aren't trying to intentionally hurt this man or hurt his son. They just, they couldn't heal him. They don't have enough faith. So apparently, there's a certain amount needed, and they don't have enough. So the dad begs Jesus for help. And if you've read about Jesus before, heard about his life, heard about his ministry, then you are expecting, uh, like, like I was the first time I read this, you're expecting Jesus to respond with compassion, right? Just you know, so many times Jesus was moved with compassion when people brought him needs. So you're expecting Jesus to say, man, that's, I, I, I weep for you. I'm sorry for you. This is, has got to be so hard on you. Let me see what I can do. Well, not today. Here's what Jesus says. Remember, God says, hey, I brought my son to your disciples. Very tragic situation. They couldn't help. Jesus says, you faithless and corrupt people. Oh. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Um, Jesus, you okay? <laughs> what happened on the mountain? You seem tense. Was there traffic? Are you hangry? What's Jesus? What's wrong? What's going on? This is not the response we're expecting. Have you ever wanted somebody to understand something so intensely you just really wanted them to get it and they didn't get it and it just made you frustrated? I mean, if you're a parent, this is your life. If you have children, so many times you look at your kids and you think, how long must I be with you? Just what Jesus said, like how much? Go to college. Just go. <laughs> when you get there, you're going to realize how smart I am. If, you are, if you're a student, if you're a middle school or high school student, you've had this experience with your parents. Where you're thinking, Mom, Dad, are you from outer space? Like, why don't you understand what's going on in my life? If you're in a relationship, and this, <laughs> you've had this experience many times, why can't you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> and that's Jesus in this moment. Clearly, he is expecting that these people have gotten it by now, but they haven't gotten it. And he feels let down. It's just kind of come to a head for him. Remember, he just came down from the mountain. His father has just said, this, this is my son. Listen to him. He has authority. He's just been with his three closest friends on a mountaintop experience. He comes down, and people just don't get it. They don't think he can do the smallest thing when they've seen him do so many big things. One translation of Jesus' words puts it this way. What a generation. No sense of God. No focus to your lives. How many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Jesus is calling these people out on their doubt, on their skepticism. And we can't skip over it. It's painful for him. Notice he's not upset because of these people's bad behavior. He's not upset because they just keep, you know, struggling in their spiritual walk. He's upset because they've seen him do all kinds of miracles, but they don't have enough faith for this one. They just don't have enough faith. You know, it's hard for me to realize sometimes that what dishonors Jesus the most in my life is not my struggles, it's not my shortcomings, it's not my imperfections, it's how often I think and speak and act as if he is not going to take care of me. That's what dishonors him the most. 
It's not the weaknesses I'm still working on or the things I'm trying to get over, the hang-ups that I'm, I'm trying to press forward and lean into and change. It's how often I think and speak and act as if Jesus will let me down and not be good to me. Jesus says, bring the boy here to me. Now, he means physically, but I think he means something else as well. And if you're not sure you buy into to Jesus yet, if you're, if you're not sure that you, you would say, you know, I, I believe that this is God's word and, and this is truth for me, then, then permission not to believe this. But these are people who believe in him, his disciples, people who've been following him. And they missed it. This is what they should have done in the first place. They should have brought the need to Jesus. So the question is, what's your need? Is it a relationship that's fragmented and struggling? Is it an addiction you're dealing with, a secret that you're keeping, a financial crisis, a a struggle with depression or discouragement or fear or anxiety? What is it? And is it possible that Jesus is saying, hey, stop trying to heal it on your own. Stop trying to fix it on your own. Bring it here to me. Let me put my work and my power and my hands into your situation And our faith keeps tanking because we're trying to do it ourselves when Jesus is saying, bring it here to me. Bring me your need and see what I can do. Now, here's what happens next. And if you thought the last part was a curveball, check this out. Then Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy and it left him. And from that moment, the boy was well. Are you tracking? Demon? What? What demon? I I thought this kid just had seizures. I thought he just had physical problems. Now, again, if you're not sure you you buy into the Bible yet, permission not to believe this, but it certainly doesn't mean that anyone with physical challenges has a demon, okay? So tomorrow, don't be like, oh, did you sneeze, honey? Let me cast that out. (laughs) That's not what we're learning here, so you know. (laughs) But what it does mean is that there are battles and issues that will arise in our lives that may have natural symptoms but supernatural sources. And there are things that we're going to face. Listen, that situation in your home right now or on your job or in that relationship, the conflict you've been involved in, the, the stress that you've been having, the anxiety that you've been feeling may just be normal things. We live in a broken world, and it may just be the stuff that happens to everyone, but also it may not be. And there may be something else going on, and the only way we're ever going to know the difference is if we learn to bring everything to Jesus because he knows the difference. See, that's the key. When you get your situation into the presence of Jesus, then he is able to give you discernment into where it's coming from. Is this just a normal thing, and you need to just keep your faith high, be encouraged, suck it up, or are you fighting a spiritual battle with natural symptoms but supernatural sources? Is there an invisible enemy trying to harm your career, trying to harm your marriage, trying to harm your kids? we got to know the difference. Listen, the enemy of your faith would like very much for you to believe one of two things, and he doesn't care which. He would either like you to believe that he is waiting for you around every corner or that he isn't waiting for you around any corners. And he doesn't care which you pick because either will jack you up. 
He would either want you to believe that he is waiting, that everything you face must be some kind of spiritual attack because then he'll get you all weird and wigged out and, and convinced, you know, everything was the devil, flat tire was the devil, fridge broke, it's the devil, kids mad, it's the devil. He doesn't mind if you pick that. Or he would like you to be like, man, it's all just normal stuff and, and nothing comes as an attack against my faith. It just is what it is. He doesn't care if you are hyper weird about spiritual stuff or hyper-rational just as long as you're one or the other and as long as you don't do this bring every corner you go around to Jesus so he can tell you the difference and show you what you're really up against and what happens here in this moment is so telling because Jesus may have initially been ticked off with the lack of faith in the people but once the need is brought to him He doesn't take it out on the people. He takes it out on what's been taking it out on the people. And if we'll bring the needs in our lives to Jesus, I think sometimes he sees us going through some stuff and he gets mad, not mad at us, but mad for us. And if we'll get some stuff in front of Jesus that may have natural symptoms but supernatural sources, then Jesus will take it out on whatever's been taking it out on us. And that's what happens here, which gives me hope. But it doesn't answer our question, how much faith is enough to see God work like this? Matthew writes, afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out that demon? What's, what's our problem? Why are we so limited? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I'm not quite sure how the team here at, at uh, the Movement Church does this, but at the journey, every weekend, uh, when we're finished, the, you know, the lights go out, dust settles. During the week, we have what we call a debrief. And we, we do that throughout the weekend as well. But every week, we have a team of leaders, staff that meets together. And we talk about what went right, what went wrong, what was, what was good, what was not good. How do we make it a better experience for the people who are coming through our doors every weekend? We debrief. And that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. You know, the day has kind of come to a close. And they're getting together for their debrief. And... And they're like, man, okay, let's t- do a little review of the day. So Jesus, you sort of left like in the middle of huddle and you went up to the mountain. You took Peter, James, and John, which that kind of hurt our feelings, but we get it. And then, and then you came back down and you were like, you know, there was a, like a glow to you. Peter, James, and John looked weirded out, like their eyes were big and we weren't sure what happened. And then, and then things kind of shifted, you know, middle of the service. There was the guy with his son and, and he brought him to you. And we're like, here goes Jesus, compassion, healing. And then you were, you were telling people like, why do I have to be with you so long? And, and that was, that was felt awkward, but then you healed him, which was cool. There was a demon involved. We didn't see that coming, uh, but but I mean that was good. And then we sort of we ended on time, which was good. And and uh, there were a lot of positive Instagram posts. Like we weren't sure, like you know hashtag demon fleer, you know whatever it was. And so we felt good about the day, but we just you know we have a little bit of time left in debrief. We were wondering why 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 couldn't we do that? Because we were trying to deal with the situation before you got there, since you were late and all and. We couldn't do it, so why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, oh, that's easy. You don't have enough faith. Now, if I'm one of those disciples, I'm thinking, thanks. Thanks for confirming my my worst fears. Because I've spent the last three years thinking I didn't have enough faith, and now you just name it for me. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. And then as I was reading this, 
I was thinking, you know, if the disciples who left everything behind to follow Jesus have been hanging out with Jesus in the flesh for the past two or three years by this point, if they don't have enough faith, how in the world am I supposed to? This doesn't feel fair. Jesus says this next. I'll tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing, no thing would be impossible. My wife Susie and I have seen God do some incredible things in our lives over the years, uh, sometimes in spite of my skepticism. And one of the areas that we've seen God provide for us specifically has been uh, financially. We have a a son who's 11 years old. When he was uh, a little over two, he was diagnosed with autism and uh, pretty severe autism. And we found out uh, about a year into that process after his diagnosis that he needed all of this therapy, very expensive, specialized therapy that wasn't covered at the time by our insurance. And we didn't know how in the world we're church planters. You know, we're just a, a year or so into our church plan and and we, did, we didn't know what we were going to do, how we were going to pay for that. And we just decided by faith, this is what our kid needs. This is what we're going to do. And we started the therapy not knowing how the money would come in. And over the next couple of years, we saw just incredible things happen. There was a, a, a sorority at the University of Delaware just near our house who decided just kind of a random thing. They found out about our need, decided to adopt Connor as their fundraising project, and they raised $7,000 toward his therapy and gave it to us. We had a friend stop by our house one Saturday night and said, hey, can we just stop by? We'll bring, we'll bring subs. And we're like, you got food. You're always welcome in our home when you, when you uh, BYOF. Like, come on, bring it. So they stopped by. We ate subs, and then they handed us a check for $3,000 toward Connor's therapy and went out to the mailbox uh, a couple of months later, and there was a check from a mentor uh, for $3,000. And then we had other friends that stopped by on a Saturday morning for breakfast with us, and they uh, handed us $8,000 toward Connor's therapy. Now, we had other things happen as well, and God provided in many ways, but if you just add those, uh, those few, that, that handful of, of miracles up, is $21,000. Now, listen, you have to catch this. At no point in that process did I have faith for $21,000. That was enough for two years of therapy. At no point did I have faith for that amount of money. I just had enough faith for that week. Just enough to get through that season, that moment in what we were facing. And you have to catch this because the question many of you have is, why does it feel like I don't have enough faith? And you think you just heard Jesus say that if you just had a little more than you have, like as small as a seed, You could move mountains. And you're wondering, how much more would I need to start seeing miracles in my life? And you you think you just heard Jesus say, if you just had a little more faith, just like a mustard seed, then you could move mountains. But that's actually not what you just heard Jesus say. Jesus didn't say, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could move mountains. He didn't say that. Now, the expression... Moving mountains was a common way in Jesus' day of describing overcoming obstacles and not just small things, but significant obstacles. I don't think Jesus is saying, you know, that if we go to Mount Everest and we stand in front of it and we just we just pray really hard, maybe throw some like, you know, uh, worship song lyrics we've heard in there and then then and squint our eyes and click our heels together by faith that we can move Mount Everest and plop it down just outside of L.A. somewhere. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think Mount Everest is situated between Nepal and Tibet 
because that's where God wanted it, and I don't think we can go move it with mustard seed faith. But I also don't believe that Jesus has just given a little motivational speech here. Like, oh, if you just add a little more faith, man, your life will be 28% better. You just need a little more faith. I think what Jesus is saying to us, what he's telling us is that through friendship with him, we can see miraculous things happen, that there are mountains that we're going to come across in our relationships, in our finances, in our health, in our community that are not supposed to stay there. And if we will believe God and have enough faith, we can tell them to move and they will. And I believe that when we encounter one of those mountains that is not supposed to be there, then we're supposed to pray until something happens. And as one of my best friends always says, bring a shovel as well, because God's probably going to want you in on the process. But we are supposed to pray until something happens. We can see things that seem to be impossible change by faith. I know because I've experienced it over and over again. So you may think that you just heard Jesus say, If you had a little more faith, you could move mountains, but you didn't, and that's not true. You would need a lot more faith to move mountains. What you just heard Jesus say was if you had a little more faith, you could move this mountain. Which mountain, Jesus? The one we just came down with one person at the bottom who had a need. If you had enough faith, you could speak to this situation, and it would change. See, here's why we get discouraged and why we get so caught up wondering why we don't have enough faith to see things happen. We feel like, I just never have quite enough. And we look at other people who seem to have so much more faith than we have, and we feel, we feel insecure, we feel jealous, and then we start to get more skeptical, and it's a vicious cycle. We face a mountain, and here's why we get discouraged. We face a mountain in our lives, and immediately our mind begins to zoom out, and we start to wonder how we're going to deal with all of the other mountains that are coming after this one. And we, we start focusing on the whole mountain range, And we think about the next nine mountains that are waiting for us after this mountain. But Jesus knows our faith is limited. He knows that we're human. He knows that we're weak. So he never asked us to have enough faith to move mountains. He just asked us to have enough faith to move this mountain. Not the mountain range. Not the next nine mountains that are coming six months from now. Just this mountain. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray like this. Give us today our daily bread, not our weekly bread, not our monthly bread, not the bread we're going to need five years from now when everything falls into place, just our daily bread. He's not asking you to have enough faith to move the mountain you're going to face when you turn 40 in two years or the bill collector finally calls or the kids have to go to school and you don't know how you're going to pay for it or the marriage finally reaches a place where you can't go on. He is just asking you to have enough faith to move this mountain today, this one. And if you had just a little, you could. You could speak to this mountain, this one, and things would change. How do you have enough faith to face a diagnosis that says you have six months to live? You don't. You have enough faith to face the 24 hours you're in right now called today. You'll never have enough faith 
to face six months at once. But you can have enough faith for these 24 hours you're in. How do you have enough faith to keep believing God for a marriage that looks like it might fall apart six months from now? You don't. You have enough faith to believe that God can work in your marriage today. How do you have enough faith to believe God you'll still have a job a year from now? You don't. You have enough faith to work hard at the one God gave you today. If you had enough faith, Jesus says, just a little faith, you could say to this mountain, move. And it would. But you're trying to speak to the whole range. I'm trying to move the whole, the whole selection of mountains I think I might face in the next three years. And I don't have enough faith for that. And neither do you. But we can have enough for this mountain. Jesus wasn't saying don't be prepared for the future. He was saying don't be petrified by it. Because if you have enough faith to move this mountain, then I'm going to be with you when you face the next mountain, and you'll have enough faith to move that one as well. But let's focus, baby. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's do one mountain at a time because you can get there with my help. Let's take one step at a time in your marriage because you can get there with my help. Let's take one day at a time in your health because you can get there with my help. Let's just face this mountain. You don't have to have your whole life figured out to see God work miracles. You just have to have enough faith to believe God for today. We don't need enough faith to move mountains. We just need enough faith to move this mountain. Just this one. And it doesn't take as much as we convince ourselves it takes. A couple of years ago, a great guy in our church uh, built a race car, which I wish I could do. And when he finished building the race car, he came to me and said, hey, I just finished building this race car, and I wondered if you wanted to drag race it. And I thought about it for three milliseconds, and I said, heck yeah. <laughs> so we went out to this drag strip about 30 minutes from where I live, and and uh, we towed his race car out there, and on the way, he's telling me everything. I'd never, you know, I drag race at stoplights all the time, but I had never done it <laughs> for reals, yo. And so we get out to this drag strip, and there are, I mean, like thousands of people, and, and he's telling me, he had this app on, on his phone. He said, here's how you practice the lights, and you bing, 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 you know, and just practice your timing. And he told me, you got to pull up to the line. you got to spin the, the tires a little bit in the oil slick that's there, get them all slicked up. And, and he said, pull up, and you wait for the lights, and then you take off, and here's where you want to shift. And, every, and he got me all ready. And so we got there, and we waited in line for a long time, and finally it was my turn to drag race and the testosterone was through the roof and I pulled up and I and I spun the back tires and the oil slick and I pulled up to the line. I was like just like the cell phone baby. Just like the just like bam 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 and I nailed the gas and I shifted at just the right moment. It was amazing. And I'm going about 80 miles an hour just a few seconds in to my first dr- official drag race in my life and I have this thought something's wrong. Because the hood of the car was bouncing up and down like three or four inches at a time. And I just had this thought, 80 miles an hour, something's wrong. And right after I had that thought, I found out I was right. And the hood blew back against the windshield. So I'm going 80 miles an hour on a drag strip, never been on in my life in a car. I've never driven in my life, can't see anything in front of me. And I'm, you know, thinking, okay, well, I can't wait to see you, Jesus. 
turn the porch light on. Here I come, you know. <laughs> and then the other thing I'm thinking is, great, I've been driving this guy's car for four seconds and I already broke it. Like, this is awesome, Mark. Way to go. If you survive this, you will never get another invitation, you know. So I try to keep the car pointed straight and calm my nerves, and I slowed down. I stopped in the middle of the drag race track, and, and uh, I, I look in the, the mirror, and they, they send out this little white truck with yellow flashy lights, and it drives down to me, and guys get out of the truck, and they beat the hood back down into place on the race car, and then they're like, follow us, and I do the drive of shame, you know, back to the starting line. And I felt so bad. I'm like, what did I do? I mean, what did I do? Did I shift at the wrong time? Was I, what did I do? And as I pulled up to the starting line, there's my friend with an embarrassed look on his face and two little pins in his hand. <laughs> so he had checked the engine right before the race, and there are these little pins that hold the hood down on a race car, and he just forgot to put them in again. I kicked him out of our church. I was like, that's it, man. You're done. Let's excommunicate you. Now, I had a decision to make. I could have given up. I could have quit. Could have said, well, this is not for me, man. My nerves are frazzled. and I don't want to do it again. But instead, my friend said, listen, if you want to go again, I promise, like, it'll be better this time. It'll be good. And so I said, let's do it. And we got back in line. I waited. I pulled up to the starting line. I, I spun the back tires in the oil slick. I pulled up a little bit more. I watched the light. Bam, 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 bam. I nailed the gas. I shifted at the right moment. I finished the drag race. I pulled around. I got my little ticket from the booth. Said how fast I went. I pulled around. There my friend was. I got out. I was like, what's up now? And he said, I thought you would go faster. And I said, shut up. You tried to kill me. What do you know? here's the deal some of you have had the hood blow back against the windshield of your life and you have a decision to make because right now you're skeptical and you're thinking man I just I don't ever want to go through that again that divorce just about wrecked me losing that child like that just about finished me off that layoff took my confidence out of me that that relationship that fell apart I don't even know how to handle that and you you have the little white truck has come down to your life and beat the hood back in place and you've done the drive of shame and now you have a decision to make listen you think you must need an overhaul to race again when you just need two little pins about the size of a mustard seed. You don't need enough faith to move mountains. Just this one. Just this next race. And I feel like God would say to some of you today, get back in the driver's seat and pull back up and get your tires slicked up and wait for the lights and hit the gas. And don't get freaked out about the next six races. Just have enough faith for this one. You don't need enough faith to move mountains. You just need enough faith 
to move this morning. If you would say today, this weekend, that you want that, you want enough faith for this mountain without getting hung up on the mountain range. You want enough for this one. You just shoot your hand up all over this room. Hold up high. I want to pray for you. I just need enough faith, God, for this mountain, for this situation, for this day, for this crisis, just this one. Father, we worship you today. God, we give you honor. Thank you for sending your son to remind us that if we just had enough faith, we could say to this mountain, move. And it would. It would move. Maybe inch by inch, maybe all at once, but it would move. If we would concentrate our faith like a laser beam on this issue, on this problem, and trust you for it, God, by faith, it would move. So, Father, help all of us who have zoomed out way too far, who've gotten anxious about all the mountains, who've, who've gotten frustrated trying to figure out how we're going to climb a mountain range instead of move one step forward in your plan for us right now. Give us the faith and the confidence to zoom back in and start speaking to this mountain, telling it, get out of my way. I have Jesus with me. Help us do that in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. For some of you today, the faith you need maybe is starting line faith. You just haven't gotten in the car yet. And maybe you've, you've gone to church, you've, you're familiar with religion at some level, you've been around the car, you've, you've seen other people drive the car, but you just haven't gotten in the driver's seat yet. And if that's you today, here's what I really believe you need to know, that you don't have to have enough faith to trust Jesus that if you put your confidence in him today and you declare him to be leader and Lord of your life and you finally get in the driver's seat and you finally pull up to the line and by confidence in God, you give your life over to him. You don't need enough faith to believe for what's coming six months from now or what's coming two years from now. You just need enough faith to believe that the one you put your trust in today will be with you by the time you get there. And then if you'll let him, he'll lead and guide your life through every mountain you face. If you haven't yet trusted Jesus with your life, really trusted him with your life, said, my life belongs to you now. I receive your forgiveness. I accept your grace. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right here, right now, today. So I want everyone to join me. If you would, just close your eyes. Everybody in this room, open your heart up big to God. Come on, everybody, open your heart up big to God. Those of you who are already followers of Jesus, just would you whisper out a prayer for the people around you right now who may need Jesus in their lives. And then if that's you today, if you couldn't say with confidence that you have a real life-giving relationship with God as of this moment, and you want that to change, and I would encourage you just right where you are to whisper out a prayer, something like this. Jesus, today I believe in you. I'll just pray that with faith. Jesus, today I believe in you. I trust you to forgive me. I trust you to save me. I'm starting life with you right now by faith. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.